A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everybody from Backpage, I'm Neil White and this is the first episode of the big interview at the Qatar World Cup. For transparency, I am in fact in central Scotland, but I can assure you, dear listener, that our host Graham Hunter is in Qatar and will be coming up in a hot minute. As he has done for the past, I think, three tournaments now, possibly four, Graham will be sending back bulletins throughout the World Cup with a focus on the Spain national team, and here to explain why that is, is the host of the big interview with Graham Hunter, Graham Hunter. Yeah, that was, that was a little bit tautological there, I think. And that's a, that's a word I've learned out here in the desert. Welcome to everybody. I, I must admit, Neil, that when we've done this before, um, I've really enjoyed the possibility of sometimes just freestyling um, off the back of a training session or a match. Sometimes I've... I remember one night um, doing a, a, a debrief on a game on a plane crossing Russia somewhere on a four-hour flight at three in the morning. I am in, in Doha right now. Um, we're recording as the, as the tournament is, is about to start. And um, it's been... Anybody listening in will we'll spit the cornflakes out if I say it's been an overwhelming um, experience because I'm made of tough stuff, I'm aggressive, I'm loud. Um, I, I, I don't... I don't if, I, if I was easy to, to, to push around or to, to defeat, then I'd have stopped going to tournaments several tournaments ago because they are demanding, uh, juice-draining experiences. But this, this one has been... <laughs> Right up there and beyond, you know. I, I thank you all for joining us, and I hope that the the fact that this broadcast will be <laughs> taking you, attempting to take you right under the skin of the way that Spain or one or two other teams confront winning a World Cup. I hope that will be of value to you. I hope it will be entertaining to you. There are many people I read and listen to saying, "Nah, not this World Cup. I'm opting out. I won't take an issue with them at all." I'll understand most of them, but for the moment, I'm here. I've I've already had a lot of close contact with the the champions from 2010, and in that part of it, Neil, it's been an experience I've enjoyed very much indeed. This is a remarkable bunch, a very new, very young, very dynamic Spanish FA, and a very new, young, dynamic Spanish squad. So Graham and I 
listener, started, um, I guess, working around tournaments um, because Martin Greg, the other half of Backpage, and I published Graham's book on the three tournaments that, that Spain won and the, the, the jewel in the crown right in the middle of the crown was the 2010 World Cup and we've kind of been talking about these tournaments Euro and World Cups with Graham ever since and I wonder Graham um, when we were wrapping on that book which covered Euro 2008 World Cup 2010 and Euro 2012 if we had pitched forward 10 years to 2022 in Qatar whether or not you would have taken the under or the over on how many of the um, Euro 2012 squad would have still been involved. Um, you know, I'm looking through the list. Would you have said Jordi Alba? Would you have said Busquets? Would you have Would you have drawn the line there? Would you have included anybody else? Are you surprised that any of the other Danny Carvajal makes up, I think, the only the, the surviving three? Are you surprised that that's the, the sole survivors from that historic treble? I don't know because <clears throat> it, it's it's deeply frustrating that time travel isn't available to me and I, I don't mean the world just to me specifically and going back then is something that's <clears throat> in my memory is, is, is beyond possible um, because I live in the moment that in 2012 felt like a squad which was um, becoming, some of them were becoming sated um, and therefore... I don't mean to ignore your question, but a better reference point is there's only one winner of the 2010 World Cup left, which is Sergio Busquets. 11 of the squad from 2010 are still active footballers, which I think is quite a high number, but only he is here. Um, from 2012, Jordi Alba? Yes. But you talked about overs and unders. It's still a little surprising to me the way that the, the, the latter stages of the career of Gerard Piquet and Sergio Ramos have gone. Um, it's still my absolute contention, and because he's not here, we, we won't go on about it, but it's still my absolute contention that Piquet should have been extremely regular for Barcelona this season. That would have led him to be an ideal candidate to coming because both the right-footed centre-halves for Spain are, are relatively uh, petite in terms of Hugo Guillamont, who's played in a World Cup final before, 27 in India, and then a 17 World Cup, and Eric Garcia, who's, who's got a terrific football brain, he's a super professional, um, and is good on the ball, but again, is is not massively quick, he's certainly not very tall, those are the two centre-halves uh, with, with, who play off their right foot. We'll come back to the name of Rodrigo in a little bit in that debate, because he's going to be the joker in the pack. But in terms of those who made it I guess if you'd asked me in 2010 or 2012 I still would have estimated that um, and Piquet and Ramos would have been here Ramos blotted his copy book and, and I didn't know who'd be the coach of the 2022 Spain squad and Luis Enrique who won't just feature in this series a lot because he's Spain's coach but because he's genuinely an extraordinary character um, he and I got on well um, he took the piss out of me pretty strongly in, in, a, in a sort of Marcel Marceau way, a miming, the limp that I've developed since I've been out here. And he did it because, um, one, he is very funny too. We get on. It was a little gesture of, of uh, integration and, and the fact that he knew I could take it. But him being in charge means that there's a man with 
some some coaches have a light hand on the tiller and are adaptable and and strongly feel that you you can and must treat some superstar players differently. And Lucy Enrique is not like that, not a bit like that. And and therefore, in a partial answer to your question, Alba's appetite for more. Yes, I probably would have bet on uh, Busquets. A, brilliant ability to read a game and, and to use the ball compared to the fact that as he admitted recently I've never been a fast player I've never been athletically fast I, 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 again we will talk about the pivot and position in Sergio Busquets and the brilliant way Luis Enrique talked about him um, in the announcement to to, to to name the squad because Luis Enrique came out and, and nailed the, the, the big debate about when a game is end to end and fast and is played a, a past, a, you know, vertically past such a Busquets, he has he has genuine difficulties in not becoming um, at least one man less um, in a game where Spain control and are on top. He remains um, somebody who can unpick things, who's whose ability ability to nick and rob a ball and and use it well, whether they're literally unparalleled might be too strong but Luis Enrique said in such games Busquets remains number one so overall who'd have made it this far who should have made who should have made it from those who are still active right now i.e. Ramos and PK I don't know but I will tie this up by by saying one thing I've mentioned it before but when you're not just reporting on a squad which wins an international tournament but when you get to travel with them or when you get behind the scenes in a stadium where there's the media can't go, or in the dressing room, or in a hotel, you obviously learn things about the character. When you work around the staff, you, you hear little things that they want to say quietly. And the, the culmination of what I learned, being tied very closely to three different squads in 2008, 2010, and 2012, what I learned told me a lot about how brilliance of technical ability, even a footballer being at the peak of his playing career, is, those things are not enough. You need extraordinary resilience and character, extraordinary will to win, and, and a good deal of what the Spaniards call malaleche, a, a bit of badness. And we'll talk about it in more detail. I don't think this Spain squad, when you've got an average age of whatever it is, I think they're the youngest average age in the tournament. And, and there are certainly, there are a clutch of players who are 17 and 18. Ferran Torres at, at 22 is a veteran. I think that is something that means this squad doesn't win the World Cup. And we'll talk about the group and the difficulty of getting out of it in a while. But I have seen things that remind me of the winning eras. I have seen things where unity and energy and personality are, are, are probably at this stage only hindered by a tremendous lack of tournament experience, a tremendous lack of you know, repeat wins of the Champions League when, when the sides that, that won those three tournaments in a row often had footballers who'd been in repeat Champions League finals who'd won in extremis in, in the most bizarre situations either domestically or in Europe. And again, this side doesn't really quite have that yet. So that's what we're facing. But it's me saying, if you place a thermometer in what I've seen uh, this week, then there are things that have the same sizzle, the same cooking feeling as, as parts of the, the three tournaments that Spain won.
Let's talk for a little bit about your point of access with this team and also where you and they will be doing most of their work. I know that it's a geographically condensed tournament compared to your excursions across vast land masses in South Africa and Russia and even Eastern Europe. Um, but could you describe to us the, the training setup that Spain have got this time? I imagine, Neil, that um, whether it's traveling with our sponsors or, or not, I imagine that vast chunks of those who are listening to us haven't been to Qatar. And um, I, I remember when we, in the 70s, um, early 70s, when my brothers and I were young, we were given a, a board game and I forget what it was called, but one of the, it was a version, it was an oil version of a Monopoly kind of thing. And one of the penalty cards you could get was called Falconing in the Desert. And it was, it was a Qatar card, Falconing in the Desert. And, you know, I am living in a city that's been carved out of a desert. And I am living in a city which in some ways reminds me of um, uh, Blade Runner. And I've been speaking to people who are immigrants here, but were here 20 years ago, and say, look, none of these, that, that one building was here, then there was the sea and there was the, the desert. But at, at night, or when it's dusk, when you look around, there are, I, I'm, again, bewildered is slightly too strong a word, but it is a, it, it can be an overwhelming place. If, if you've spent oodles of time in Shanghai or Las Vegas, there are bits that you'll recognise. But there, in terms of some of the tower buildings that have been constructed, there are, there are extraordinary shapes. The, the neon, the, the way in which lights move across buildings, the way in which players are back-projected and flags are back-projected onto gigantic uh, buildings around Doha, the way in which you can travel down to effectively a beach and the way in which if, if you travel, you know, in one direction without too much hindrance from the red lights, you arrive at a desert. I, although I've been here a couple of times before, as you know, firstly to, to um, conduct the interview with Chavi that, that was a fundamental part of Take the Ball Past the Ball and then again to work with Chavi at an exhibition by doing an on-stage interview. While I've been here before, for those who haven't seen it, I want to say this is a this is an extraordinary place, genuinely extraordinary. It's an utterly remarkable place, which is culturally obviously extremely different from most of the places I've travelled to. Certainly, any of the countries and cities where I've worked, and I'm trying to, to take the benefit out of that, as I hope some of the Spain fans and Spain players will do too because it's to, to, to be here for a long amount of time and to mix with people albeit that the stat that they quote to you all the time is that of the population in Qatar only 12% are, are Qatari uh, and, and therefore there's a big mix of nationalities here and I, I find that melting pot of nationalities extremely attractive extremely interesting and, and to to, to, then to get back to your question, and you're allowed to insert a voicing about bloody time. Spain um, flew in on the um, 17th, I think, at about 2 a.m. 
having played a match in Jordan, I know you watched Neil, um, having won 3-1 and, and they, they jumped on a plane almost immediately, they were about 30 minutes late in, in getting in, there were, there's a lot of traffic in the air even at night, a lot of planes have stacked and they, they, they land, they come down, I'm standing in a sort of flash zone just outside the, um, the, the, the terminal building some of my staff were, were on the tarmac, an experience I've had as the plane landed. And uh, Luis Enrique came out. There, there were, there was, to my left, there was a crew, TV crew from Costa Rica. To my right, there was a, a TV crew from Telemundo, the Spanish language station in the United States. And the, the coach headed straight for me because it was pre-packed. And it was also pre-packed at two in the morning that he, he wouldn't really want to be standing around doing a treatise on, on either arrival or winning the World Cup. It was like, wham, bam, thank you, man. So my question was, uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, dicen los más románticos, tú, entre ellos, uh, que los, los mejores sueños empiezan a las dos de la mañana. And he, he, he laughed, it, which is what I wanted. I didn't want him to go, here's another stupid ass question at two in the morning. And the, 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 the thing I was putting to him was, uh, look, coach, the, the most romantic people, Sinatra, and you amongst them, have always said that the most beautiful dreams start at 2 a.m. in the morning. I, 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 and, I, and I finished by saying, I forgot to say, I, was, I finished by saying, ¿Estás listo para soñar al menos un poco? Are you ready to, to dream at least a little bit? And he's like, <laughs> And off he went. Yeah, our dream is to win. Our dream is to to do what we've you know done at World Cups before. And you're right that um, I am a romantic, and you know we have a vision and blah blah blah. And at that stage, the the lady from Telemundo, having been in television terms, polite enough to let me get my one prepacted question out of the way, jumped in and and Lucho Luis Enrique Martinez. Please let nobody think his surname is Enrique. That gets me really mad. It's a Bruce Banner moment. Don't make me swear. You wouldn't like it when I swear. Um, Luis Enrique Martinez just gently held his hand out in front of her. I said, no, I'm talking to him. And turned back to me and I said, as the goodbye question, um, what did I say? It's completely escaped me because I'm... I, over, just prior to this recording, dear listener, my, my little team and I, we've had 10 hours sleep in a 72-hour period. And if, if you're a little bit discalculate like me, that's not enough. So don't, you don't need to do the arithmetic. I've summed up what it's like. I, I said to him, yeah, and, and this was a stooge question as well for me because I've had a lot of in-depth, long one-on-one interviews with Lucien Enrique recently. And I've often been asked to ask him, what are, the, what are the three words that define your style as Spain coach? And he'll always say, um, attacking, pressing, and ambition. So I said, eh, lo tengo correcto, al menos podemos decir que un, un equipo que siempre, un, una selección que siempre va a jugar con ambición ha llegado en el Mundial. Uh, am, I, am I right in saying that a team which will always show ambition has just arrived at the World Cup? And he said, exactly right. No fear. No fear of any team Ever, we will always attack front foot. We're here to play and beat anybody that comes in our way. 
And these are only words. But when you're, your trade is to try and get people to speak in an interesting way, um, Luis Enrique, if, if, you, if he respects you, if he understands you if, you, if he does neither of those things, but you connect with him, remains a deeply interesting man. And off they went, uh, and us with them too. Um, Qatar University is about 20 minutes away from the airport. It's about 25 or 20 minutes away from the centre of town. And Qatar University is, is gigantic. Um, a fact which is vouched for by them being able to accommodate in an accommodation sense, sorry, um, the Netherlands, Argentina and Spain on the same campus. I haven't been in Argentina's or the Netherlands um, hostel is what it's called, but it's been treated as a hotel. And anybody who's a long-term listener, first-time caller, <laughs> you see, just talking to you, Neil, gets me going after after 10 hours sleep in 72. I really like that joke. Long-time listener, first-time caller. If you've been with us since the days of the of the Ayoba and Sharp Sharp World Cup in 2010, you'll know that Spain lived in, a, in university accommodation, student accommodation in Northwestern University in Puchestrum. Butchestrum, and um, I reported then, and I, I don't think that was that was really basic. Small room. It was cold at night there. Uh, they had a two-bar heater on the wall, a single bed, um, a, a, a tiled floor, a tiny TV. So this is not the same. This being Qatar, this is not the same. They are in. A, 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 a student hostel, or uh, it may also, I, I, if I'm being ignorant, may also host some academics too. But it's very much like a five-star hotel. It's, it's, it's a really um, impactful place. Uh, ordinary looking on the outside, extremely attractive, extremely well-designed architecturally on the inside. <clears throat> and for the, the, the players... I'd like to say it's a short walk to the training ground, but it's not because they use these electric scooters. They come wheeking, for everybody who's not Scottish, wheeking means to go very fast, down a, a little slope um, to the back of the training ground. And, um, you know, you could play the ride of the Valkyrie when they come down in a swarm because it looks like the beach is safe to surf. Um, as they come down on mass, it really is... A, a remarkable sight, but it means that, that <clears throat> from leaving the front of the uh, the University of Qatar hostel where they live to the training ground takes them about <clears throat> 90 seconds, two minutes. They leave their patinetes electricos and, and they, they walk 50 paces onto a very good training ground. Um, it was interesting, Neil, the, the other day, Cesar Aspiliqueta was the the first Spain player to sit down in a press conference since they arrived. And he was asked a question on those terms from the press conference audience. You're the first guy we've had to speak to, had available to speak to. What's it? And it, it's easy for a player to say, it's very nice, yes, thank you. It's about, well, everybody's done. And Cesar Aspilicueta didn't do that. He, it was Billy Graham. It was, I thought there'd be a gospel chorus bursting up behind him. He was so evangelical. I can only thank the federation and everybody 
who's, who's prepared this. It's exceptional. Everything is just right. The hotel, the training ground, it's been brilliantly planned. Now, Cesar is a very, I mean, he can be a, he can be a aggressive guy. He's a winner. And um, I've seen him ticked off with people or seen him in a bad mood with, with the world. So don't let me portray a guy who's all Enid Blyton and Mary Poppins. That, that's not true. But in this instance, he wasn't messing about. He was beaming from ear to ear about, this is good, this has been well planned. And footballers these days, folks, are so well paid, are, are, are so used to being VVIPs, and in some instances, not Cesar Espelicueta, are spoiled. And therefore, they're quick to moan, really. And any footballer who's ever made it to the top level, whether they're paid, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 15, 20 million a season or not, footballers moan. They really moan. So to see this guy saying, this is, you know, you're the tops, you're Mahatma Gandhi, etc. That's a Scotland the What reference there, thanks to George Dunn and Buff Hardy for the lyrics. It, it's, it, it, it was impactful. And particularly to me, because I've seen the facilities and they are uh, pretty special. So uh, that's where they're at. But from the accommodation building where Spain lived to the accommodation building where Argentina lived is, is a walk of about four minutes. They're completely separate, they're self-contained. But yes, folks, Leo Messi and, and Luis Enrique are kind of living as, as literally as, as neighbours with Holland a hop and a skip down the road over a roundabout and into another exactly identical hostel. There are six gigantic training complexes where the, there are multi-pitches and changing rooms and you know there's analysts' rooms both within the hotel and, and within the, the training ground too. So it, it's, it, I, I, what's more, the, co- the training complex is so big that Switzerland and one other World Cup side that's escaped my memory at the moment are all training there, um, are all working out there. The, the Switzerland and the other team that escapes my memory, they're, they're not living there. Um, so it's, <clears throat> again, it isn't just a nest of activity. It's an absolutely gigantic place. And given that the, given the, the concept of playing all of this in Qatar is, 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 is I, I haven't done the kilometre, square kilometres, but it's, I think, I'm pretty sure it's smaller than London. And in terms of, Doha itself, it's just a moderately large city. Um, so to, to accommodate all these, to host all these teams, I, I couldn't imagine how it was done. But given what I've seen in the way that five of the bigger, some of the biggest teams are placed in Qatar University, I, I begin to get a skill of the whole thing and how they've been able to do it. Because as yet, I haven't been travelling around other training grounds or other stadia. It's fascinating to think of those teams, those players um, living, you know, not cheek to jow. You said, it, you know, it's a five minute walk between the sort of sections of the complex where the different teams are stationed. But when you think about it at that level, these guys, you're talking about club teammates, you know, perhaps best friends who are going to be staying there for the almost the duration of the tournament. And they're actually living, you know, as, as neighbours. I wonder if there's going to be any bleeding across those those uh, national lines. Well, it's a it's a good point. We haven't talked about this prior to, to recording, so you know, thank you. That hadn't crossed my mind, and it should have done. And I don't know. I can't say yes or no, but my sus- suspicion is yes because I'll back that up with two things I've seen, which is that 
um, Euro 2008 winner Santi Cazorla, who would have been at the World Cup if not for a broken leg, uh, would have signed for Real Madrid too in 2010. Um, he plays out here for the team that Xavi used to coach, Al Saad, and he pitched up at training today. Javi Martinez, who won that um, World Cup in 2010, was at training for Spain's first training session and surprised me hugely. He's changed his look massively and surprised me hugely by saying, by, as we bumped into each other in the, on the touch lines and the sideline of him, ah, Mr. Aberdeen, which I really liked. And I, and I happened to be carrying my Aberdeen two-star uh, shoulder bag, which I, you know, as, as ever, lifted and prodded in his, in his face because it was in Brazil that he, he just answering a question, ch- chatting away about, you know, where have you been recently on holiday? He said, oh, I had some time off when I was recuperating from injury and I went to Scotland and I went to Aberdeen, which at the time completely shocked me. I think we were sitting in a, in a training complex in Fortaleza or, or Curitiba and he was talking about having nicked away to visit um, Aberdeen. I think he was at Athletic Bilbao at the time or maybe he'd just joined Bayern Munich. And his English is super, and, and I got such a welcome with him. We stood and chatted for five, six minutes. My point being that that flexibility about old friends dropping in, albeit both of them were tournament winners with Spain, I think bleeds into your idea about it, it could easily be that if, if two squads that live so close together have a couple of guys who are, are pals, absolutely no reason why they're... There wouldn't be visits, particularly since we live in a, a relatively liberal regime, as it was under Del Bosque, obviously, too, um, where Spain's manager has become, <clears throat> and you're right, people, I, I don't really know what this means, a streamer. Yes, Luis Enrique Martin is the streamer. So, oh, yes, they call him the coach. Um, that's the kind of regime they, they work in. So I don't think Messi's going to be dropping by and say hello to Luis Enrique, but... Other people across those three um, selecciones uh, between Argentina, Holland, and Spain maybe popping in just to just to schmooze could happen. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Okay, guys, as we wrap up this Welcome to Qatar episode of the, the Big Interview, Graham Hunter, I think we are going to park an in-depth look at the um, the starting lineup and the tinkering around that Jordan um, warm-up game and the hints or otherwise that it gave us towards how he might take on, how Lucha might take on uh, the opening fixture against Costa Rica because you and I will be talking again before that game and that's, I think, the best time to focus on it. I think there are things to say. Uh, I'll try to make them a little bit more bullet point. There have been times during the week that I've been here where the daytime temperature has been very hot. There have been times when it's simply been pleasant. Spain, mid-autumn, Spain, early spring temperatures. At night, it can be perfectly cool. Night time comes at 5pm. Those who've been in the stadia before now, not because of games, because... We're recording as the opening game is going to take place. But those who've been in run-throughs or working in a stadium say that at night, it gets pretty chilly. Now, I can't say that from experience, but other people do. Players are going to love that news. Players are going to absolutely love that news. Um, when we watched the short batch of trading that was open um, for Spain, uh, some things stood out, which would include the fact that... Um, Pedri and Gavi are, are buzzing. There's not a hint of, man, we're at a World Cup. Nothing. Just like there wasn't when Gavi made his debut against Italy, the European champions in the semi-final of the Nations League and, and, and bit and snarled at every, every Atsuri heel, uh, just like there wasn't when Pedri became the young player of the tournament. In fact, one of the players of the tournament in, in Euro 2020. Um... I'll throw in the fact that we also um, had to work on when you watch your television and if you do watch uh, Spain playing, um, when the teams are are read out for the Costa Rica game, um, your television will show the face of the football coming forward and he'll he'll grin or he'll punch the air or he'll, he'll pull out his Spain team badge or he'll... He put his hands on his hips and stuff. We film that, you know. The production, as as a verb, is is about the fact that you have to produce things. They don't just happen. I think we're all taught by television that things just happen. They're just there, and you pluck them out of the ether. That's not true. You have to produce them. We spent a day doing that in the team hotel um, recently. Spain's players often extremely funny, um, taking challenges, playing darts, 
Um, Ferran Torres telling everybody I'm the best here. Ferran, the, 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 the little strange instance, Luis Enrique becoming streamer, I think, where he talks direct to camera and I think it's on Twitch, I think, um, if, that, if that's the right word. Him talking about... Um, I think he's doing it because there's a small section of the Madrid media who I despise, who are out to get him o- over um, him having left Real Madrid for free a year after the Bosman move uh, became legal. He left for free in 1996 and went to Barcelona and absolutely loved it every time he scored or made or, or won against Madrid. And there's a resentment that dates from that time. And I think that there are some in the Spanish media who disgrace themselves. And therefore, Luis Enrique talking about the issues that matter to the fans, direct to the fans, is something I find hilarious. I absolutely approve of. I think it's quite dangerous too. Because... You can sometimes find yourself saying something that you you, you, you get on a roll, you get in momentum and, and you probably shouldn't say. He was asked about a quote where Vincente Del Bosque always said that his his reference point, his, his go-to man on the pitch was Sergio Busquets. And when Sergio Busquets was getting dreadful and un, uncalled for criticism after the defeat to Switzerland in the opening match of 2010... Dabowski said, you know, well, if I was a, if I could come back as a player right now, having been a midfielder himself, uh, the modern player I'd want to resemble is Sergio Busquets. So somebody asked him, I think, in uh, in the in the stream. So it must have been a, somebody who, I think, you have to pay it, it to be part of it, and it, and and funds that are raised. Lucy and Ricky say, says we'll go to a charity, and he means that. And somebody said to him, Dabowski's reference was on the pitch was Busquets. Who's yours? Ferran Torres. And I have to say that, otherwise my daughter would uh, would have my head, would cut my head off because his daughter is going out with Ferran Torres and has been for a long time. Ferran Torres was asked about that today in the press conference. It was a joke. <laughs> it, he didn't give a long, articulate, ah, this is fun answer. It was a joke, he said. Uh, because... He's good at talking about it for Antares, the fact that, you have to, that he has to balance being, you know, having not a father-in-law, but a girlfriend's father who's not only his coach, but coach of the national team. And little bits and pieces like that, uh, while away your hours. Um, again, I've had a super experience, a one-on-one interview with Cesar Aspilicueta, um, another one with uh, Ferran Torres, and... They're speaking well. They're interested. They're engaged. These things don't win you the points. And all right, we'll park, as you said, about the the way in which I analyse the fact that although Spain could, in my view, could go to the quarterfinals or the semifinals, they're in a group that will be hard to get out of. And it is not impossible that they, that they, that they don't do that. And that's when I say that to people that I know, that surprises them, but it is my contention that it's going to be beyond imperative that they open with a win against Costa Rica. So, um, the, the sum total, Neil, listeners, is that um, this has been a, a pretty kaleidoscope experience being in this city, being in this country, working in a way I can't compare to anything I've ever done before and and listening to and watching this La Roja uh, squad and, and, and right now 
you hear the pauses, you hear me being less articulate than usual because I'm still assimilating. I'm right here in the heart of it. I'm pleased to be around this Spain team. But it's been... What would Vinnie Jones say, Neil? It's been emotional. Okay, before we go, and it does sound... I, I know Graham and I do talk... Um, to each other, you know, more than uh, we talk on tape. So I know how hard Grimm's been working for the last few days. And I know the sort of challenge that, that is stretched out over his horizon for the next few weeks. However, there is something from this side of the, uh, of the divide, there is something incredibly exciting about this part of, of the experience and, and the World Cup and the way you describe it. I'm not saying... I wish I was there doing the things that you're doing, but it is nice to be able to uh, experience it vicariously through you. Um, but before we go, before we go, there was one real decision, probably the decision of, uh, of Luis Enrique Martinez's uh, tournament so far. And that was one of several pre-World Cup or immediately pre-World Cup injuries he had to make a call on. And he really did have to make a call because it wasn't like the heartbreaking uh, Benzema injury that's ended his World Cup. It was one when he potentially could have said, well, yes, my left back is down, but it's an injury from which he will recover possibly before the end of the group phase. So I'm going to stick and not twist. Instead, uh, Jose Gaia was sent back uh, to Valencia and the eighth member of Football Club Barcelona was added to the, the Spain squad. In Alejandro uh, Balde, Graham, have you had the chance to speak to the coach about the decision? And what can you tell us um, about the the young Barca left back that has joined camp? Yeah, they're two very separate subjects because the the Balde thing is is very straightforward and clear cut. I'll come to that in a second. Jose Gaya's situation probably is not. Um, the twist of his ankle was recognised to, but even by Luis Enrique, to be something that was not um, a brutal injury. Initially, they worried, was it ligament damage? Pretty quickly, they find, found out that there was a, a possibility that he would have been fit for some of the group matches. And yet, <sighs> poor old Gaia was told, we're not going to wait for you. And I think you set that against the context of Busquets catching uh, COVID ahead of the group stage of Euro 2020 and Luis Enrique deciding not to replace him, to, to wait for him, not being able to use him until the third group match. And Busquets' position and experience, both very different from Gaia, but Germany are a group rival. And when Spain beat Germany 6-0 uh, down in La Cartuja in Seville um, in a qualification match, Gaia played and made one of Ferran's at-tricks. Gaia is an extremely able, extremely exciting deputy for Jordi Alba. I think Jordi Alba probably painted as a starter, but to say goodbye to Gaia who I haven't checked, but must be in the region of 26. Um, and, and who, once he's gone back to Valencia, has said it's brutal to have a dream like this ripped away from you because of a sprained ankle. People in Valencia have begun to say 
this this wasn't right. This was a bad decision. He, he's been you know treated at best with brusqueness, and he could have been available. And as with Lucy Nicky, almost all the time, certain sections of the media want to ascribe different um, motives, and I can't speak to that. And if I knew, then I would. However, what I can say about Balde is that last March, um, I was lucky. I was on behalf of you, Neil and Martin. I was interviewing um, Luke de Jong um, to, to bring it to the big interview listeners. And because I was in the press uh, facilities at the training ground for Barcelona, um, I was invited to sit into an off-the-record briefing from Xavi Hernandez, his brother Oscar, both of them worked out here in Al Sadd in Qatar, uh, Jordi Cruyff and I forget who else. And it was a, a round table of about 10 or 12 journalists, free to ask anything, um, not free to, to print them as quotes, not free to go out and do immediate splash headlines, but to use it as fuel for their writing, to, to use it as a point of accuracy. Uh, it was a briefing. But you were allowed to... to the, it, it was a briefing that was based upon not a, a didactic monologue, but, but Q&A. And about 45 minutes in, as he began to talk about the, the, the football desert that he'd inherited, not in Qatar, but at Barcelona when he took over the previous November, it, it began to be the case that, that Xavi was asked about youngsters and he was asked about Alex Baldi, who at that stage, I, I my memory is, would have played no more than a handful of... So we're talking about March 2022 this took place, at which stage Alex Baldi had played probably a, a handful of games for Barcelona B. And it was at a point when um, the summer spending had still to come and people wanted to know... They, much of the media wanted Jordi Alba out and wanted two or three candidates for left back. And somebody asked about Alex Baldi and Xavi went, no, wait, I've taken time, I've looked at him yeah I'm counting on that boy that boy's got a future now even Chabi didn't say he'll be in the team by the summer which he has been and when you watch Balde play again he's properly extraordinary for his age and even when you factor in his it, it, there, there's just a moderate naivety he's yet another one from the mould of being neither tall nor brawny but he's tough He's very, very quick, but he's extremely daring. And when he's played for Football Club Barcelona this season, it has looked right. Um, he's immediately in a season when Barcelona have been have had some pretty uh, brutal duffings up in the Champions League, not apart from the Glasgow in the league. This 18-year-old debutant who's left-footed has been repeatedly asked to play right back. I think that's genuinely off the scale unusual and a testimony to Xavi, his coach, and to his own skills. And here he is now. Um, I don't know what the difference in months is between March, which is the third month, and we are now in November, three of 11 is eight. Eight months later, um, two of which were not spent playing because of the summer break. Here he is at the World Cup with, with Lucien Reiki going, yeah, that's my boy. That's, yeah, this is right. And there are some Muppets who say it's because of the club he plays for. That's not true. 
Am I surprised that he wouldn't wait for Jose Luis Gaia? Yes, I am. He, he's a very good left back. He, he uses the ball extremely well. Characterful, intelligent, popular. Neil, I'm going to set a habit in this, and I hope it, it pertains to what I've been doing in previous broadcasts. When I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know. Why he wouldn't wait for um, Jose Luis Gaia? I can't tell you because I don't know. The reason Balde is here is because he's extremely good, very, very quick. And Luis Enrique gave a debut to Pedri um, at an extremely young age, 18. Gave, made, made Ansu Fati the youngest ever goal scorer for Spain. Made Gavi the youngest ever footballer for Spain. So the one thing that anybody who's looking at this decision shouldn't be surprised about is the fact that Alex Baldi is 18 because Cruyff may have made the phrase about, you know, I don't look at the age, I don't care about age. Popular, but Luis Enrique lives it. Hurrah! Well, look, I think you've nailed the part about the, the decision not to wait. I think it's about, you know, that context, that experience around the, the, the Busquets decision that he made that he was on the other side of last time around um, I think that, that almost certainly weighs into it fantastic breakdown of the, the the situation and wonderful profile of a wonderful player another wonderful young player who should be who should make Spain um, a fascinating watch of this tournament we'll see how far they go they and you go um, you should be listening to this big interview listener on Monday which means that we'll be back tomorrow uh, probably later in the day than we're posting this one, but but later on tomorrow we'll be back with just a flat out preview of of Spain's opener. Graham's going to tell us uh, exactly how they've been training, the decisions that Luis Enrique faces in terms of selection, and I might even get him to predict the starting eleven. You just never know. But for now, Graham, go and get some sleep, and thank you so much for your efforts, and we'll speak soon. Anil, well done, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and if if like me you have reservations about the situation we, we find um, let's talk about that in our traditional big interview um, slot uh, when we do our Q&A's for the moment if you're choosing to watch the World Cup I'll be thrilled if you make us the pal the accompaniment that you choose to complement the football here in Qatar particularly if you're of the La Roja persuasion hasta, hasta luego adios por el momento